So who here in the last week has felt at some level or another anxiety? Me too. Preparing to come up here, feeling the weight of opening up God's word to people that I love and care about. Um, It's pretty intense, but that's what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to draw comfort from God's word. We're going to talk about what anxiety looks like. We're going to talk about where it comes from. We're going to talk about who suffers from anxiety, why it shows up. But most importantly, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about it. So if you brought a Bible, please open it to Proverbs 3. And I'm going to read. I'll start in verse 21, and then I'll pray, and we'll get into it. How's that sound? Verse 21, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day, for this opportunity, and for these people. I thank you for my family gathered here and the family in Christ that you've placed us within. I just ask that you would speak your truth today and that you would use me as a tool. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is anxiety? I want to start, I think it will be very helpful if we start out with a definition, kind of lay the groundwork of the terms that we're going to be working off of today. Anxiety is described as a feeling of nervousness, worry, or uneasiness about what is happening or what might happen. So it's kind of like a sliding scale of fear. I would define it as fear for control. Things are happening around you or have the potential to happen that are outside of your control. And that's intimidating. Essentially, what we're talking about is feelings, emotions, sometimes a combination of feelings. Anxiety can be coupled with excitement. Anxiety can be coupled with um, anger or fear. I work with kids a lot, and I tell them, God made you with feelings. So feelings are good. Emotions are good tools that communicate to us and to others how comfortable we are in any given situation. It's like the dashboard panel on your vehicle. You've got all of these gauges and sensors and lights that tell you things like your engine temperature, or your tire pressure, your fuel level. You've got tools that help you judge how your car is performing. Feelings help us know how we are processing what's going on around us and what we think about the future. Well, the rest of that pep talk that I give to kids is what matters most is what we do with our feelings, how we express them, how they manifest themselves outwardly. 
because there is a correlation. Your internal heart condition determines your external life condition. That's because we're both physical and spiritual beings. For our purposes, I want to focus on the type of anxiety that manifests itself in fear and how the Bible says we should respond. Here's a saying that I came up with that it might sound a little corny, but I think it's helpful. Anxiety grows when fear controls, but contentment thrives trusting God with our lives. So ask yourself, what are you afraid of? A handful of the most common triggers for anxiety include health, finances, lack of sleep, conflict, social settings, medications, and caffeine. How many of those have you dealt with just this morning? Broadly, if it's not the economy, it's a pandemic, or it's a war, or it's terrorism, political unrest, and on and on it goes, and you're probably anxious just listening to that list. For me, it's time. I hate running late. I don't like the feeling that I'm not going to get everything accomplished in a day that I set out to do. I felt this squeeze even more since I've become a parent. As my kids get older, they begin to get involved in activities that impact my schedule. So I have what feels like even less time to get it all in. If we think about that uh, personal definition I offered a moment ago, I have a fear that I'm not in control over the amount of hours in a day. And actually, I am in control of how I budget my time, right? We all get 24 hours. We all get the same 24 hours. And the one thing that I have control of is how I manage my schedule. And being a father means I have to be more deliberate with how I budget that time. Well, Solomon says in our passage, wisdom will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. We, he, we see here some of that relationship between internal and external. There's life for your soul, eagerness, vitality, along with adornment for your neck. You know a person who's at peace and a person who are anxious both wear them outwardly. A person wears their heart on their sleeve. Anxiety displays itself externally through the body. Your palms sweat, your pulse ramps, you feel restless, your muscles tighten, you may get nauseous or develop a headache. These are just some of the examples of physical symptoms. Extreme forms of anxiety, they can lead to panic attacks. Sadly, they can lead to suicidal thoughts and substance abuse. And I would exhort anybody in this room, if you find yourself reaching that point, Tell somebody, do not hold on to that by yourself. You have been placed under pastors and shepherds who care for your soul. You have been placed in a body of brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers who love you very much. And when one part of the body suffers, all of us feel it. Don't think you can pedal harder and try and hold on to it yourself. We love you. 
talk to somebody. There are interventions that can help you to do the work of dealing with your anxiety. On some level, anxiety is universal, right? Anxiety disorders affect 40 million adults every year. If there are 100 people in a room, then the odds suggest that 19 of us are living with what would be classified as some type of anxiety disorder. So out of 100 people, 19 would be diagnosed with some type of anxiety disorder, and the majority of that group are our women. Anxiety disorders are as equally common among older adults as they are among adolescents, roughly 32%, and that number among children is going to climb. We're seeing a national push to diagnose children. In October of 2022, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recommended screening for anxiety in 8 to 18-year-olds. Columbia University studied methods of soothing anxiety in preschoolers. If diagnoses of anxiety disorders are rising among the youth, then it stands to reason that the use of SSRIs or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, think your Prozacs and your Lexapros, things like that, that's going to rise as well among our young people. But anxiety is nothing new. It's universal. All different kinds of people deal with it. It's also um, timeless. Anxiety existed before modern psychology and pharmaceutical technology. And we know this because it's part of being a person. I'll get to the reason for that in just a moment. It's addressed all throughout the Bible. I want to give you some passages that you can run to in times of anxiety, and I'm just going to do some quick hits. Arguably the most famous is the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4. You've also got the Apostle Peter addressing this, 1 Peter 5. Jesus taught about anxiety, and we're going to look at that a little bit later. And in the Old Testament, we see it in the prophets. Think about Jeremiah 17. I had a hard time choosing one place in the Psalms. Psalm 46 is a good one, and you can go back and listen to Pastor Jake preach about that in the sermon archives. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Anybody remember that one? Sometimes anxiety makes you feel like the earth is crumbling beneath your feet. The point here is that there are a lot of places in the Bible that we can draw wisdom from on how to combat anxiety, including here in Proverbs. And anxiety is not new. That's what I want to stress. It first shows up in the fear that Adam and Eve displayed after the fall, which brings us to why anxiety is even a thing. Why does anxiety happen? Well, the short answer is sin. But wait, John, you said Adam and Eve showed fear, and fear is a feeling, and feelings are good because God made us with feelings. What gives? Anxiety produced by fear is a result of sin. That's why we see so many biblical exhortations to not be anxious. In Genesis 3, immediately after Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree, we saw them panic. We saw them try to control the situation by making clothing out of leaves. They withdrew by hiding. And ultimately, they started blaming. 
even going so far as to blame God. Remember what Adam said, the woman you gave me. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life were motivating factors in eating the fruit, but anxiety was a result of a sinful choice. Anxiety is a product of a disordered fear. If Adam had maintained a healthy fear for God out of love, he would not have violated the prohibition to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So again, let me ask the question, what are you afraid of? What keeps you up at night? Look at verse 24. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. How do we get this sweet sleep? Solomon started out saying, get wisdom. Remember that? Where do we get wisdom? Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And as Pastor Baker taught us last month, sometimes when the Bible says, fear the Lord, it means exactly what it says. That is fear properly ordered. Do you rest easy, or is your sleep consumed by fear? Jesus said in Matthew six twenty-seven, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. Anxiety consumes. Anxiety is a devourer. Evaluate what you're afraid of losing and it will unveil what you treasure above the Lord. Because anxiety will eat away the shield that you put up around your idols. Think about that list of triggers that I gave earlier. Are you avoiding a conflict at work which causes you to snap at the people in your home? Are you wrapped up in the news cycle in such a way that you're being irresponsible with something good like the thought of preparedness, protection? Is your fear related to your financial security? Maybe you grew up poor and you feel like you have to make as much as you can so you can put distance between yourself and that lifestyle. No amount will ever be satisfying. Or you've placed yourself in a pair of golden handcuffs by living at a certain standard that can't be maintained with less money and you're not willing to make the sacrifices that would put you in a more responsible yet less comfortable position because that would undermine the lifestyle that you have Established for yourself, a lifestyle that you enjoy. So you deflect concerns when they're brought to you about how much you work, and you say that you're doing it for them, and they're being ungrateful. I would encourage you to examine your heart. Perhaps your fear is related to relationship. We see a lot of this. Parents, do you use guilt to control your children because you are anxious about their decisions or their friendships? The relationships out of, outside of the home in general or their safety or their salvation? Spouses, do you use guilt or anger or sex as an external tool because of internal anxiety related to your marriage? 
You see how this works. Anxiety will make you manipulate the circumstances and the people around you. It will make you control. When things feel out of control, we look for ways to shore it up. Either manipulate the system, manipulate other people, or manipulate ourselves. Lock down what we can. Eliminate the variables. We could go so far as to say that we've got control issues and we're bold enough to try to control God. We're just like our first parents. We look at what's happening or what is potentially going to happen and we panic, we control what we can, we cover up liabilities, we withdraw and we blame other people or we blame circumstances and we'll even blame God. Anxiety is a fruit of a guilty conscience. It's not the fruit, it's a fruit of a guilty conscience. We refuse to look at our sin, and in our pride, we refuse to run to God, or worse, we do blame Him. We'd rather blame God than submit to Him and deal with ourselves, do the work. If we look internally, it's in order to blame genetics or trauma, or our station in life, we create a feedback loop of anxiety. Well, I can't control these things. They were done to me. So we look for things we can control. That's why we manipulate. Or we look for a cope. Something to distract us or numb us so we don't have to do the hard work of dealing with our sin. We'll use our trauma as a mask, or we'll use our treatment as a crutch to mask everything and make it seem like we're putting forth some kind of effort. But what does the passage say? There's a command in verse 25. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, panic, or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. Ah, take heart. The ruin of the wicked is coming. And if you're in Christ, you don't have to be afraid. Then the reason in verse 26, for or because the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. You have to fear God. You have to trust him with a grateful heart because you're not going to fall prey to the ruin of the wicked. Verse 26 and verse 23 above are tied together. The Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. You will walk on your way securely and you will not stumble. There is peace and a sure-footed confidence in a rightly ordered fear. When I interviewed for the pastor's college, the men wisely said, get your financial ducks in a row and commit to doing the work that is required to provide for your family in a way that they need. Pastor Tim Bailey told me I needed to evaluate whether I suffered from a lack of greed or a lack of ambition. He was right. It wasn't about the money. 
It was about my internal heart condition, my motivations, my confidence, and my comfort. I did not fear God rightly, and I had to kill that false humility and do the work, whatever it looked like. Because the flip side of pride is false piety. And I'll freely admit that over the last few years, this one has been me. I call it the financial shell game. We're making our bills, but barely. It was tight. I was tense. The one who is anxious is always playing the odds, running the numbers, imagining scenarios out to their end. I'd sit down and I'd look at all our financial assets. I'd try to figure out what accounts we could shuffle, move things around so we could get the dominoes to fall in the way that I wanted them to fall so we could get ahead and get comfortable. I'd sit and I'd look at mortgage calculators. I'd look at Kelly Blue Book and I'd say, okay, if we sell this, that would give us the money to do this and get that, then everything will be all right. But it was all hypothetical garbage. It was a waste of time. It was an impotent way to exercise control over my life. And most of all, it was a refusal to look at and deal with my sin. But at the same time, God was working in the situation by showing me in my figuring that no matter how I pulled the levers, the equations always came out the same. And I was left with the reality that I wasn't stuck. I was right where God wanted me to be. My foot wasn't caught like it says in the verse. No, I was exactly where God wanted me to be, and I needed to recognize that he was meeting our needs, but I wasn't holding up my end to go above and beyond that. I was anxious, and it was the fruit of a guilty conscience. I was working, but I was not working hard enough to go over and above to bring in more work. I was cleaning the outside of the dish. What I was feeling guilty about was my refusal to do whatever it took to make enough money to provide for my family and build God's way. Slow, steady faithfulness out of love and trust because you're right where he wants you to be. I sought a quicker fix for our needs and our goals. But I am encouraged on this day, and I would encourage you to fear God, not outcomes, because fearing outcomes will freeze you up. You'll become indecisive. Place confidence in God to work through you because he will. You just don't know what that looks like, and that makes you anxious. Pastor Bailey pointed me toward the goal of godly ambition, working hard and taking on more responsibility. Take ownership and responsibility, make decisions and act. Then live with the results. Trusting God. This is contentment, which I would argue is the opposite of anxiety. Living quietly, not getting bogged down in the global news cycle, working with your hands, but also working on your sanctification. People think that trusting God and working are at odds with one another, but that's not true. You were made to work. Work is good. As long as we don't make it an idol. 
Contentment is not putting your feet up and thinking God is going to do all of the work. Contentment is knowing that you gave it your best. You left it all on the court. And resting easy, trusting that God will fill in the gaps that you need no more and no less. How do you know God will fill in the gaps? Because he loves you. He loves you. If you are in Christ, you are a child of the Father in heaven who loves you. And I'm going to tell you what it looks like when the Lord is your confidence. I had a conversation with a woman earlier this year who has a diagnosis of bipolar. She had been through a panic attack the morning that we had this conversation. So this is a Christian with a legit diagnosis, but she's a delightful woman, very kind and encouraging, and I had no idea that she suffered under the weight of these things. She's got a heart that's turned outward in love for God and for other people. So I was a little surprised, and I asked her, I said, how do you handle panic attacks as a child of God? And she said she focuses her attention outward. She said, I look, I look at the trees. I look at the birds. She thinks about the immenseness of creation and how small she is. And in amid, the midst of all of that, God loves me, she said. And it minimizes the anxiety that she feels because of God's love for her. What does that sound like to you? Does that sound familiar? Because when she said this, my mind immediately went somewhere. Matthew 6. If you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 25. Matthew 6, beginning in 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34 Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus himself points to the birds of the air. Jesus himself points to the lilies of the field to direct the gaze 
outward and upward to the love of the heavenly Father for his children. And he says, do not be anxious. It's not simply don't be anxious, though. You also have to do the work of seeking the kingdom. In Luke's account of this passage, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If anxiety is a result of the fall and it arises from sin, we can be putting our sin to death and we can be learning contentment. The Apostle Paul said, I have learned to be content. Contentment takes grit. It takes ambition to make the sacrifices to go without whatever it is that you fear for security outside of the Lord and to maintain a thankful attitude toward God and men. Yes, it's hard. Take it from somebody who knows. It's true, at times you don't see the fruit of your work and you wonder if it's having an effect. Yes, you see other people doing whatever they like and it seems like they're getting away with it and they're having an amazing time, but that's a smokescreen. You see the toys that your neighbor has and you start playing that financial shell game. Man, I'll move this around here. I'll transfer this money over here. No, don't. You feel distance between you and your spouse, so you turn on the guilt faucet. Don't. Do the work. Do the hard work to learn contentment. Express discontentment in regards to your sin. Do not live in fear of idols and from a place of anxiety. Live in the fear of the Lord and from the love of the Lord, which manifests itself in contentment and trust. When anxiety has you hyped, rest in God's love. Then do the work. When it has you in the depths, let the love of God give you peace when you lie down, a sure foot on your path, and confidence in the work that he has set before you to do. He loves you more than the birds. Rejoice, be thankful, and let that put fuel in your tank. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you. Thank you for this church, for the family of believers within it. We thank you for your word that we can draw wisdom and encouragement from it. I would ask that you would bless these people on this day and throughout the remainder of this week. Let our worship today be a, a blessing to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen.